You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Great to see everybody on Wednesday night and uh, looking forward to, to jumping into the Bible study in just a minute. Um, we're going we're gonna to get to uh, prayer in just a few minutes as well. And we've got some pretty, um, some pretty significant things to pray for. Um, uh, and we'll go through that in just a minute. I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the reports from tonight from our kids. Brother Kerry Nance uh, from Florida will be preaching. And uh, Brother Nance is just a godly man. He's, a, he's a, a great Bible preacher. He pastors a church in Florida. He's just got a, a pastor's heart. Um, he is uh, he's just a wonderful, wonderful preacher. And so God used him in my life. He and I preached together several years ago in the Philippines. And man, uh, the Lord just really used him there in a great way. And so when I heard he was coming, I wanted to make sure that our kids got, to, got the chance to go and um, to be a part of the youth rally. So pray for our kids tonight. Um, we're going to jump right into this for a few minutes tonight. Um, I was uh, um, looking, through, looking through some of my notes going forward in the next few weeks on the home and I am really, really encouraged about how God puts things together. Um, sometimes before, even before uh, I, can, I can figure it all out, but the Lord begins to prepare my heart and we begin to prepare messages. And then when I see uh, down the road a little ways, how those are going to correlate with certain seasons and times and, and where we are in our church and our kids going back to school and just with college age kids and um, looking at some things about uh, some of the lessons that we have on when our children wander and when they get away from the Lord. And uh, so I have a Bible study that we're going to be going into in the next several weeks about that. Um, it's a very fearful thing when your kids get up and become adults and move out of the house and they're no longer under your spiritual directive and authority, especially when you have, when you have uh, well, it's, it's hard either way, but when you have girls and you're making that decision to give them away and they're moving under dad's from dad's umbrella to a man's umbrella. It's tough. It's tough. And um, um, but but there are some great principles about when our children wander, not if they wander, but when they wander. Uh, so many parents become broken hearted uh, and discouraged because they think, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. And, and you probably did. Uh, man, we provided a good home. We gave them good instruction. We were in church. We had a strong marriage. We didn't have a perfect home, but I don't know what happened. And uh, it's called free will. It's free will. And I know a lot of parents who get discouraged about that. And um, the truth is the Bible's got a lot of answers to that. And so we're going to get into that in the next few weeks. And I'm just looking down the road at a few of these lessons. I've been really excited. But we're going we're gonna to tie up tonight on protecting our homes spiritually. Um, we, we've talked about protecting our homes physically, making good health decisions, especially in an um, artificial world with so much um, out there. And by the way, I'm not paranoid about, you know, some people get really paranoid about healthy diets, and I try to eat healthy. That's why, I, that's why today I got the Quarter Pounder instead of the Big Mac. <laughs> Because the Big Mac, I love the Big Mac and the special sauce, but it's got one extra piece of bread on there. And so you can still get as much meat 
Um, but without the extra bread, if you go with the quarter pounder, especially if you go with a double quarter pounder, <laughs> man, then you're getting a lot more protein. So, so I'm not, I'm not, so you see how health conscious I am. And, uh, and then go with Coke Zero. That's a lot better. It cuts the sugar down. And, um, <laughs> but truth is, we, we are living in a world where fast food, high sugar, high, high, uh, um, high energy drinks and, and, and things that, that sometimes we're sold one thing. We think that, man, Gatorade, that's a good sports drink. That's a good rehydrator. But it has more sugar than a Coke does. And we don't realize that. But um, uh, So we want to protect our homes uh, physically. We want to we protect our physical health of our homes, uh, making sure we're getting good sleep. All those things the Bible talks about for healthy life. But number two... We want to protect our homes emotionally, and we live, in a, we live in a world that drains us emotionally. And we want, to live, we want to live in the will of God and in the word of God in our homes. We want to be encouraging our children and encouraging our spouses and making sure that our homes are emotionally protected. Hey, listen, um, we, we, we've got to be aware of uh, things that people are going through. Sometimes we don't even know what, they're, what somebody in our own home is dealing with fears and anxieties and sometimes we're ashamed to talk about that but home ought to be a place where it's safe we can talk about this i'm dealing with this i have these anxieties and these fears i have i have these thoughts i get depressed um listen depression is a real thing uh it's a biblical thing the bible talked about moses being depressed the bible talked about elisha being elijah being depressed the bible talked about jonah going through depression um it's a real thing when you get to a place where you just, I went off the ride. You're not suicidal, but you just went off the ride. I just, I'm, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to face the world. I don't want to go on. And what do you do when you get in those, in those situations? Uh, David talked about this and many times as a shepherd. David said, my soul is cast down within me. Uh, and what we, we don't realize, but David was using that as a, as a shepherd's term. A shepherd's term is that sheep, oftentimes get cast. That's what shepherds call it. They get cast when they've been uh, during the growing season and they're out eating and they're growing their, they're growing their wool. Uh, as time goes on, that wool gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And oftentimes, before, shortly before the shearing season, it's easy for a sheep uh, maybe maybe there's a, a a very damp night and they get a very heavy set of uh, of, of, of uh, settlement of dew on their coat and uh, they get very wet. The sheep gets in a in a tricky place and they fall over and it's too heavy for them to get back up on their on their feet and they're cast. That's what they call it. They're cast and they can't get up. Well, you know, a sheep cannot defend itself when it's cast. It has no claws, it has no fangs, it has no ability to defend itself. It's completely helpless. The only way that a sheep can get back on its feet is the shepherd has to pick it up and put it on its feet. And David said over and over again, my soul is cast down within me. I will hope in in my God. That God is going to come and he's going to pick us up. And you know, there are times in life when people get cast and life knocks them down. Um, you can be up one minute and you can be down the next minute. And, uh, and so it's important that in a home and in a family, 
we're able to, to see that, to listen to that, to be pay attention, and to emotionally protect our families. And then um, we want to protect our families spiritually. And we want to do that the right way. And I want to just say, uh, you know, and I've said this each week, but with a, multi, with a multi-generational group here, we all have a different, we all have a different uh, way that we observe this. I'm, I'm observing these lessons still with a, with a daughter at home, and yet now I've got two daughters married, and I'm thinking about grandchildren, and I'm thinking about future generations, and as a grandparent, how I, how I go through um, these things as a parent and grandparent, and as a pastor, how I want to communicate this truth. But I, also, I think, you know, we have, we have a, a lot of singles and, and unmarried, and you know, uh, listen, write notes, take some notes, because you're going to have a family one day. I was speaking at a men's meeting, and I had a, this last weekend, and I had an opportunity to speak to a bunch of the single men, which I always, I'm always on the look, just so the single ladies in our church know, I'm always on the lookout for good, godly, strong, um, handsome, and rich um, guys. And I can never get them to all check the boxes. I mean, you know, sometimes I, they're just good Christians, and that's, that's all, they, it's it. He's not, he's not handsome, he's got no money, but he guy loves the Lord, and so that's one box check. But anyways, I'm always looking, so, um, but, you know, as I think, I think about the young ladies, it's hard to find good, godly young men that are, that are true men and that love the Lord, but I was, I was uh, teaching a session to some of these young men, and I, and I said to them, I said, you know, you guys need to quit thinking about what you want in a wife and start focusing on what you're going to be as a husband. Um, so oftentimes we, we know what we want, but what is she going to get when she gets you? Uh, and that wasn't my sage advice. That was advice from my dad one time. My dad said, so son, what are you looking for in a girl? And I told him, you know, what I was looking for in a girl. And he said, yeah, well, what kind of man is she going to get? You can't, you're not picking up your room. You're not, you're, not, you're not doing some things you're supposed to be doing around the house. And, uh, so you better pick it up, son. Uh, you, know, you better focus on what kind of man you're going to be. And God will give you the right kind of woman. So anyway, but, uh, so be thinking about your family because you, you're going to have an obligation one day to help your husband or your wife's spiritual condition, uh, to help your children's spiritual condition. And when we see how God put it together, God intended for husbands and wives to bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we have got to think in terms of an husbandman bringing up, raising up, growing. Um, it's, it's a shame that there are people who will spend more time sheltering and protecting their tomato plants than their children. We do more to, we do more to feed and nurture and all those things and attend to all. Men, if they have little spots on them, how are they growing? Are the insects coming? We want to make sure that we protect this garden from anything. And all the while, our kids are, are, are exposed to anything and everything. And so uh, God intended us to bring them up in biblical uh, in biblical rule and order. And he wants us to do it as models in the Christ-likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to do. He wants moms and dads to really come under the biblical model of parenting as God parents us. And uh, it's going to take, take that kind of home, and those homes work. Uh, our life, our words, our actions, our attitudes, they're either all part of a picture of God's grace 
They're either a picture of God's glory or they're a picture of flesh and sin. And remember, sometimes fleshliness can appear as righteousness. Sometimes the carnal man can dress himself up in self-righteousness. Do you remember that? Remember how Paul said that they thought that their righteousness, they could obtain, they could obtain this through their righteousness, the righteousness of the law, and, and yet the righteousness of the law produced nothing but filthy rags. Do you remember that? Uh, it's the righteousness that comes by faith. And so it's not, it's not legalism in the home. It's, it's the models of true grace and glory that God gives to the family and his work in the family that, uh, that helps our children to, to, to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not flesh, not sin, not pride, not arrogance. Um, but the works of righteousness through the Lord. Everything in the home is meant to be a model. Everything in the home. It's supposed to be a living picture of the relationship of Christ. I want you to see in your Bible tonight a couple of verses. Number one, look at, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, the, infamous, the infamous passage of Scripture where we, uh, we tell wives to obey their husbands, right? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Man, that's good preaching. Uh, but we always forget to go down a little bit and read a couple of other verses right here. So verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now notice this right here immediately. Everything in the home is meant to be a model. Everything in the home is meant to be a model. The husband and wife relationship models Christ and his church. It models the way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. It models the living relationship that a church has in submitting to the headship of Christ and Christ giving the love to the church. Watch this very carefully because he's going to explain how that looks. Therefore, verse number, well, verse number 23, let's finish that verse. Even as Christ is the head of the body and he is the savior of the body. That's important. He's the savior of the body. Uh, so he's talking here now about the husband and his, Jesus physically died on the cross to save the church. And he's the savior of the body of the church. But husband, you're also the savior of the body of the wife. Uh, it is your job to protect her. To, to redeem that. Now watch verse number 24. Therefore, so this is the application. Anytime you read therefore, that's an application. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Now he's talking here about the model. The marriage is modeling something. So wives, just like the church is to follow Christ and to come under his headship, that's how the wife is to follow the husband. And then husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What's the application? Husbands, if your wives get wrinkles, you're not doing it right. <laughs> no, that's not the application. Okay? The application is, is that Jesus is working in the life of the church to beautify the church, 
to give the church everything it needs for grace and glory, for everything that that church needs for its life and its joy and its happiness and its unity and its provision. Christ is providing all of that for the church. Therefore, the husband needs to provide those things for the wife. I've said many, many times, one of the things that convicted me the most, one, one, one day hearing a message um, uh, preached by a pastor who's now in heaven. He was preaching a message and he looked down and he said, men, and I wasn't even married at the time. Uh, I was dating Michelle, but he said, men, your number one ministry to your wife is to make her a more gloriously beautiful Christian. And boy, that stabbed me in the heart. My ministry to my wife is to make her a more radiantly beautiful Christian. That she should be more in love with Christ because of her relationship with me. Then he says in verse number 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Remember, the church is the body of Christ, yes? And the Lord salvaged that body, yes? He purchased that body, yes? So now a husband is to take his wife and do for his wife what Christ has done for the church. And what does he do? He, he loves his wife as his own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Man, that's just a good rule of thumb, man. If, listen, if you, if, you love, if you love you, love her. Because if you love her, she's got a lot of love to give you. And you're going to reap the benefits. That's why Peter said, He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. He, he's, he said in that passage of Scripture, speaking of the husband and wife, he, he said, listen, um, he said, uh, do not render railing for railing or evil for evil, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you were thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. So wife is having a bad day. She wants to, you know, she fires at you kind of snarky or harsh. That happens. Amen? So she rails. Well, what happens as husbands? We rail back. And then what happens? They rail back. And then what happens? We rail back. And then it gets evil. You're just like your mom. That, then it gets evil. Then we start saying things intentionally trying to injure them. Right? And then the blows are coming. Well, if you were up, and then we're just in this verbal warfare because we rendered evil for evil. Well, guess what's going to happen that night? We're sleeping on the couch or in a hotel or we're dead. We're sleeping the long sleep, pushing up daisies. Somebody's burying a body somewhere, right? Yeah. But the Lord said this, when one rails, maybe the husband's had a bad day at work. The boss has been a jerk. The sale went, didn't go through. You know, on the way home, somebody hit his car. I don't know. He's mad. And he gets home, and the, the kids are running everywhere, and it's noisy. And he walks home, and where's supper? I'm hungry. And then, well, what do you think I'm doing all day? I got a job. You know, railing and railing. Right? We're, now we're all railing at each other. Does that sound like normal human life? Yes, it happens. But the Lord said when that railing happens, maybe she's at a time when she's not very happy and, or he's in a day and he's not very happy. And so 
that railing starts, you respond not with railing and railing and evil for evil, but you respond with blessing. Knowing that you were called to be a blessing so that you will inherit a blessing. So then immediately when the husband comes home and he's had a bad day and the boss was mad and somebody hit his car and he got home and the kids and I'm hungry. Well, come here. Here's a, here's a bag of Doritos. Go lay down for a few minutes while I finish supper and just kind of rest for just a second. I'll keep the kids. Right? Well, hey, I'm eating Doritos and uh, I'm kind of getting to decompress. And even if I don't really get to decompress, she understood. You know, or uh, men, we respond in like kind when they're having a hard time and we get to say, well, here, let me help you with this. Or let me, here, let me, let me take this pressure off of you for a minute. And we respond with a blessing as opposed to a railing. And what happens? We inherit a blessing. Later, we're not sleeping on the couch. We're smooching on the couch. Amen. You can say amen to that. Somebody's like, man, you shouldn't say that. They're single people. I want, you know, the world always is telling people how bad marriage is. I want them to know it's wonderful. Marriage God's way is amazing, and you need to earn it, and you need to strive for it and pray for it and get into it because marriage God's way is awesome. Smooching on the couch is a lot better than sleeping on the couch with everybody mad in the house, right? No, no, but what are we talking about? We're talking about the marriage is modeling the relationship of Christ and his church. Everything in the home is a model. The Bible says right here, and I love how the Bible says this, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, why does he say that? Verse number 28. Well, because verse 29, because for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, (laughs) but nourisheth it and shareth it, even as the Lord of the church. Okay, has any man ever been hungry and not given himself something to eat? The answer to that question is no. When men get listen, when men get hungry, we're going to do something about it because we love ourselves. Men love their bodies. Ladies, that's why when you're cooking a meal and he comes home and he's wanting to go in and kind of graze and eat a little bit and you're like, "Stop eating, I'm cooking." He knows that. But he's hungry. And no man ever had a snack before the meal and didn't eat their meal. They had the snack and ate the meal and then had another snack. We're going to eat the meal. Do not be offended that we're snacking before you got the meal finished. We're not offended. We're hungry. We're not being offensive. We're, We're hungry and we're nourishing our own bodies. I mean, my wife can sit down and she can get ready for a night out and she'll spend two hours She'll try on different outfits. We're going to this thing. We got to go to this function. And, you know, and she'll try. Does this look all right? Does this look all right? I mean, she's changing. I'm like, babe, that's beautiful. She'll get ready and she'll walk out of the room and she is stunning. And I'm like, Michelle, you look so beautiful. Oh, my hair's a mess. I look terrible. Let's go. (laughs) Women can get ready for two hours, look stunning, and still think they look horrible. Men get up in the morning, we kind of do this number, look at us, yeah, not looking bad. And we're out the door thinking we look good. Because that's just the difference the way men approach their own bodies. You know, I mean, we look in the mirror like, you know, not bad. If I tip my head forward, I can still see the hairline back there. I mean, I got that, right? And the Lord said, look, the way men love themselves, 
you need to love her. Now watch what he said. Verse number, verse number 28. So ought men to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause, now notice this, for this cause. What's the cause in marriage? Why, why does God associate a cause with marriage? What is the cause? What is the purpose to model and live out the life of Christ and his church? Everything in the home is a model. Everything in the home is a model. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall be joined unto his wife. Did not Jesus leave his father and his mother? Last thing he said on the cross, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And then Jesus made sure that his mother, he left his father, left his mother to purchase the church. So ought men, the Bible says here, uh, to marry, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, not to cheapen the picture, but to show you what marriage is about. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So everything in the home is a model. Do you realize that we as husbands and wives are living out a picture in front of our children of what Jesus and the church are supposed to be like. So that's, that's a model. Look over, look over very quickly. I love this verse. Uh, but go to, uh, go to uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. see here. Hang on one second. Um, let's see here. I wrote, I wrote down the wrong verse. Paul, Paul is speaking here about, um, oh my goodness, why am I not seeing that? Um, but Paul, Paul is speaking about husbands and wives, and he's speaking about the, 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 the length of hair. I know where this passage of Scripture is, and I don't know why I went to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, it's, uh, but Paul's speaking about the, the, the length of the hair on a man. Pardon me? Yeah, that's what it, okay, that's what it is. I wrote, I wrote down 11.4. Man, I was looking, I thought, wait a minute. Uh, every man praying or prophesying, but look, look down at verse number, that's it, verse number, verse number um, seven. For a man indeed, thank you, a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he, now watch this, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. Who is the man in the home? He is the image and glory of God. Men represent God the Father in the home. He is the image and the glory of God. And the Bible says, but the woman is the glory of the man. So the man is to, the man is to in the home, be a model of who the Heavenly Father is. And he glorifies the Heavenly Father in his role in the home. The wife glorifies her husband by, by, by 
fulfilling the Bible's role of a wife supporting her husband as the church and Christ. And what happens? The, the man is glorified, God is glorified, and the model is lived out before the kids of who God is, who Jesus Christ is. Everything in the home is a model. And it's a spiritual living model of how God deals with his people. This is an amazing truth when you really study how God designed the home to reveal himself. In the home, he revealed himself through human relationships. So how does that happen? I'll, I'll review this very quickly. I'm going to give you the last point tonight. But I told you a couple weeks ago, the first thing is it happens through parents modeling real obedience. So if, if a man is going to be like Christ to his wife in front of his children, then that man needs to be in full obedience to Christ. He needs to be in full relationship with Christ. He needs to be following Christ. He needs to be modeling obedience. He needs to be an obedient believer. A dad can't be a stubborn rebel and teach kids about being like Jesus. Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. The Father said to the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was obedient. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. But he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus became obedient to his Father. So how do we live out a model of biblical, uh, a biblical model of Christ to our children? We have to be obedient ourselves. We can't be disobeying Scripture. We can't be living out in pride and anger and arrogance and self-righteousness. We can't live out things that violate the Scripture. So we have to model obedience. If God says this, I have to do that. If God says, hey, listen, uh, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing for parents to look at their kids and say, you do as I say and not as I do. And then everything that we do is, is really the model that we're speaking to our kids. Our model speaks louder than our mouth. Our model speaks louder than our mouth. Our kids watch what we do and how we do it, and they model that. Do you know the things that drove me the, the most crazy when my kids were little is when I saw myself in them. How many of you have ever been looking at the mini you and, and the, you're seeing yourself and your kid like, what are you doing? <laughs> and what, if, they, if, they, if they really could understand, they would say, I'm acting like you. And so the parent has got to understand that we're modeling Christ. We have to be walking in true obedience. Authentic Passionate, committed, living for Jesus Christ should be seen in every area of our life. Not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Them seeing a committed, obedient believer. Number two, we said this. Uh, parents don't, don't just need to model obedience, but they need to model real authority. They need to model what real authority is. Remember we talked about what real authority is, is Jesus. Real authority is Christ himself. Jesus came and submitted all powers given unto me, both in heaven and earth. He is authority. He is authority. And so biblical authority is apparent understanding that any authority that I have comes through the power of Christ. And that my authority is only his authority lived out in me. And I can only command as well as I've obeyed. 
So as I've modeled obedience to Jesus Christ, now I'm walking in his authority to be able to command the household in the way of Christ. And that's the expression of authority in the home is as how Christ expressed authority. I told you last week there were three different types of parents. One is passive parenting. Passive parentings. What, what a passive parent is really saying is, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, and I'm too distracted to deal with you. Figure it out. That's just passive parenting. I'm, 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 I don't want to do this. It's too much work. So I'm going to look the other way, and you just deal with yourself. That's passive parenting, and that is destructive. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Passive parenting. Christ was not passive. He was not passive. Number two is the oppressive parent. The oppressive parent is overbearing and forceful and demanding and authoritarian, not authoritative. What the, author, what the overbearing and oppressive parent is really saying is, I don't care about you, I just care about me, so do what I say. And they're all about control. You're driving me crazy and you're going to do what I tell you to do because it's about me. In, in other words, I don't know how to discipline this child, so here, here's some medication. Chill. Passive parenting and oppressive parenting. Let me tell you, there, there has been a ton of abuse of children in the name of biblical discipline. Because we think of the rod, here's what we think. We think of the rod as always a spanking. And so we think, well, we're just going to beat it out of them. You know? When we stop and think, we, we fail to re realize how God disciplines his children. How does God discipline his children? Well, the first thing that the Lord disciplines us with is his word. He disciplines us with his word. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit just... Hmm? Now, here's what you have a choice. You have a choice right there in that moment. The Bible just hits you. And God says, this is you. This is wrong in your life. Now, you've got a choice. You can ignore it. You can excuse it. Or you can repent of it and get that right. Now, when the Lord speaks to us and we don't listen and we ignore him and we continue our way, then the Lord has to do other measures, right? And he chastens us. Now, why does he chasten us? God's chastening. Listen to this. God's chasing is not punishment. Punishment is what happens to evildoers Punishment is what happens to the, re the rebellious who refuse to hear God. God's, punish God's chastening is never punishment. God's chastening is corrective. Punishment, punishment is what you do with a criminal when you put them in prison and you're done with them. They, they, they are punished. Correction is when you restore the relationship and you correct you correct the behavior and the relationship. It's all, that's what parenting is. Parenting is, and when God chastens us, it's all about his relationship with us. So God is in the business of correcting. Sometimes he has to use a rod of discipline to correct us so that we will listen. It's all about inclining our ear. It's about attention. And you know, the world wants to excuse it as attention deficit disorder. Can I tell you, we all have that. 
Now, I get it that some people do have a hyperactive brain and they have a, they run, their motor runs. I get all of that. And I'm not saying that there aren't people who have some proclivities to being very unfocused. I get that. There are, there are medical reasons for that. There are dietary reasons for that. There's, 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 there's other things that come to play. But can I just tell you that all of us, all of us have an attention deficit disorder? We do not want to listen. And it started when we were that big. We did not want to listen. And good parents have to learn that the number one thing I have to get from my child is I have to get their attention. And if I, if I get their attention, then I can get to their heart. But I can't get to their heart until I get through their ear. I got to have their attention. That's why good parents, when their kids are little, will get down, get in the face, get their attention, talk to them, speak to them. Be, I mean, listen, one of the things that I loved is, is when our kids were little, our kids were little babies, my wife would talk to them like they were full-grown adults. <laughs> and I'm thinking, they don't even understand you. But you know what? They, they, they were learning how mom talked to them. And they were learning to listen. They were little babies. She could talk to them, and they would look at her. I would talk to them, and they would cry. I would give her to her. She would talk to them, they would listen. But God, let me, let me show you something. Look back very quickly. I, I got to hustle with this. We've we're we're got to be done. We've got to go to prayer because prayer is the most important thing. But let, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. God is speaking about every child that he loves, he chastens. All right? And we have to endure that chastening. Every child that God, that God loves, he chastens. Verse number nine, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. He's talking about our earthly fathers, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. See, that's what, that's what true discipline does. True parent discipline is correction and respect. Respect is what's given back. Not punishment and rebellion, but correction and respect. Oppressive parents, overbearing parents, authoritarian parents produce rebellion in the heart. Parents that are authentic parents in the genuine expression of Christ in biblical authority, they're, they're strong in truth, they're tender in love, they have a balance in the home. They're, what they're saying to a kid when they parent that way is, watch me and then do as I do. Follow my example, but pay attention to me. What they're after is they're after the child's attention. They're after the child's heart. Watch me. Watch me. Come with me. Come with me. Oppressive parents are like, you do that. Parents are like, you come with me and watch how I do this. And there's the relationship in that. Is everybody, everybody follow? Everybody tracking with that? Watch very carefully in Hebrews 12. Watch this. Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they, speaking of our earthly parents, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit. See, in our humanity, we still have the proclivity to parent our kids for what's best for us. But God always parents us for what's, for what's best for the child and not for the parent. So the parents, you know, in our human things, we, 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 we chasten them, we punish them for our own pleasure. So you'll leave me alone and you'll, you'll give me some relief and some reprieve. But God always chastens us for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And so authentic and true parenting 
needs to always be establishing the relationship and bringing us into the fruits of righteousness, into holiness in the home, into a life that is set apart for God. Now, let me finish with this, and I'm going to tie all that together with this. So we said, what is an authentic parent? What, how do we protect the home spiritually? We have to model obedience. We have to model biblical authority and know how authority is, is, is wielded. And number three, we have to model redemption. Watch this very carefully. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What's he talking about? He's talking about God's redemption plan for man. God's redemption of man, he came in and he bought us back. And notice the repeating of the word together, together, together. The reconciliation. God through Christ reconciled us to build that relationship that we may go together. That we may go together. He even has a work that he's created us to do with him and for him together. He even has a plan in eternity that he can show us all of his glory and all of these things that we've done. And he wants to do that together. We're going to be with him seeing everything that he's prepared for us in this great redemption plan. We're still in this redemptive process. Isn't that amazing? And so the home has got to model real redemption. How many of us have sinned against God's law since we've been saved? And how many of us has God disowned and gotten rid of or just angrily smote us and got rid of us? Or how many of us has God come to us again by grace to redeem us to restore the relationship. Yes? So what is redemption? It's when you were lost, when you were separated from God. He loved you as, as, as you were. He loved you where you were. And then He redeemed you by His grace. Something undeserved, something unconditional. And He works in you to nurture you and to grow you into His likeness. He forgives you when you fail. And He loves you through all of it. That's an authentic parent. That's modeling Christ. It's when our children really crush us and it hurts when we see them do wrong and it hurts us, but to redeem them, to come to them with grace, helping them understand the consequences of their decisions, understanding that bad decisions outside of mom and dad's rule have consequences. But in those consequences, we're going to show grace and we're going to walk through this with you. What is redemption? Redemption is, is what our Heavenly Father is. He is rich in mercy. That's what the Bible says right here. He, uh, if we break this passage of Scripture down very quickly, He's rich in mercy. What does that mean? He's long-suffering and patient with you. How are you? How are you? Are you long-suffering and patient with your spouse, with your children? He is great in love. He's unchanging. His love is unquenchable. His love is unconditional. His love is sacrificial. How's your love? Do we, do we have a greater love for our kids when they're just minding us? Or do we still love them even when they're little terrors? 
He's powerful in life. He brought you to life through Jesus Christ. He, he brought life to us. Listen, you know what my job is as a dad? Is to, is to breathe life into my children. Spiritual life. The word of life. I'm to bring encouragement to them and comfort to them and, and to give life to them, not to discourage them, not to provoke them to anger, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. My children should be able to stand up like a well-watered plant and thrive because mom and dad are speaking life into them. Eternally good. God is eternally good. He is rich in kindness for ages to come. Are we kind? I was telling our teachers today that what we say is sometimes overshadowed by how we said it. God is always kind. His tongue is ruled by the law of kindness. David looked at God one day and David said, Thy gentleness hath made me great. At the times when God could have crushed David and broke him to powder, God was gentle with him. And he abraded him. He corrected him. David had to walk through his, his consequences, but God walked through them with him. God accepts you as you are. He has grace and mercy. It's not of ourselves. We ought to be that way with our kids. He works in you by grace. We're his workmanship. God, God takes time to work in us for something that he sees. Listen, you know what I think sometimes? Let me ask you a question. What does God expect of a 20-year-old? You ever thought about that? If you read through the Bible, what a 20-year-old, what was expected of a 20-year-old? In, in Hebrew world, I mean, these were men of war. These were men that were required to put the country on their back and lead it, defend it. I mean, if you read what God's laid out for 20-year-olds, some of us think that we're, we've got these kids and we just got to help them mind and look the part, and we forget they're going to be somebody's husband. They're going to be somebody's dad. And what God is doing in our lives is he's working in us for a work for us. And as parents, we've got to be working in our kids now for a work down the road. There's times I don't feel like doing what I needed to do as a parent. But you know what? Their, their, their husband needed me to do that. There's a work that they were made for. And I've got to do this work in them so they can do the work that they were created for. We were working to give them away. So we had to do the work. God's always working in you for a future project. God teaches you how to walk, and he gives you a perfect example. And so, hey, listen, I think all of us ought to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I can't do any of that. I, I don't have that kind of grace. I don't have that kind of mercy. I don't have that kind of perfect example. I can't do any of that. And the heart should be, so, Father, do that in me and through me. And by your power, your grace, your strength, I want to walk this out in front of my family. I want to be Jesus to my wife. I want to be the Heavenly Father to my children. I want to be preparing them and disciplining them and chasing them, chastening them. And I want, to, I want to make sure that I'm living out that model because the model speaks louder than my mouth. And so God can help us do that. And that really builds a wall, a spiritual wall around the home because you know what the, you know what the home's full of? Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And that's good stuff.